At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. We open the scriptures this evening. Um, we are once again in the Gospel of Luke. And if you've been worshiping with us uh, over the last month or so, you know that we've been working our way through Luke's Gospel, especially in light of all of the different meal scenes that Jesus engages in. Um, again, I've quoted uh, this quote a few times, but one scholar of Luke's Gospel says that in this Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal at a meal or just having left a meal. There is never not a time in which one of those things does not set the scene in Luke's gospel. Jesus liked to eat, even as we'll see after he rose from the grave. He has a couple of meals. We're going to see one of those scriptures, Lord willing, on Sunday morning. Um, but this evening, um, on the last couple days of his life, um, Jesus shares one final meal with his disciples, a scene from his life that's famously referred to as the Last Supper. Um, so it's no surprise that meals played such an important part in his ministry, in his life, and here he is at the end of his life doing much of the same, eating with his disciples. So we're in Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. If you have a Bible and are following along, but we'll have the verses on the screen as well. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. I'll read these words for us. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Peter and John said to Jesus, Where will you have us prepare it? Jesus said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And the master of the house will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare the meal there. And they went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And Peter and John prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes." And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, Jesus said, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A steak cooked medium rare, three eggs over easy, hash browns, toast with butter and jelly, a glass of milk, and a glass of orange juice. In the state of Florida, that menu is the traditional last meal for death row inmates right before they face execution. Other states allow more freedom in the requests made by their ill-fated prisoners. Lobster tail, oysters, fried chicken, ice cream, peach cobbler, pecan pie, kind of whatever they want for the last time. But it's been a practice, a tradition, some say going back centuries for prisoners facing capital punishment to be given a last meal of their choice, or at least a last meal that's something they would really enjoy, especially compared to typical prison food. And the idea seems to be that despite this criminal having done whatever they've done, they still deserve the dignity. They still deserve the honor even for one final meal to get whatever they want. Maybe it's hard for you to put yourself in the shoes of a death-sentenced criminal, but what do you think if you had One last meal, if you knew for whatever reason that this was the last one, what would you ask for? Or maybe, more importantly, who would you want to be there with? Who would you want to share that space around the dinner table with one last time? Well, amazingly, Jesus is in just such a situation. If you're familiar with the Gospels of Jesus, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you know that there's a tension beginning very early on in the story of Jesus, and the tension builds throughout each Gospels. It is a tension between Jesus and the religious leaders in Israel. Jesus confronts their hypocrisy. He rebukes their mercilessness, Jesus condemns the religious leaders as heartless, faithless cowards. So you can imagine these leaders want to do something about this. They try to publicly school Jesus in the ways of God's law, but that doesn't work. Jesus gives mic drop answers every time they challenge him about God's word. They, t- they try to turn the people against him, But that doesn't work either. Crowds of people are drawn to Jesus for his compassionate heart, his compelling teaching, and his acts of mercy. So the religious leaders are left with one option. They manufacture allegations, and they scheme to have Jesus condemned to death. And Jesus knows this is going on. He's not caught off guard by this. He tries to tell his disciples throughout his time with them. He says things like, hey, the son of man is going to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men. Hey guys, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes. The son of man goes to his death 
as it is written of him. So Jesus knew that his enemies were plotting his death, and he knew it was a part of God's plan for him. Indeed, it was central to God's plan for him that he would die in the place of his people. Well, by Luke chapter 22, his hour has come. There is very little teaching left for Jesus to do. There's very little ministering left for Jesus to do. There is very little life left for him to live. His hour has come. His death was imminent, and he had one last time to sit at table with his disciples. One more meal with his followers. And this was his dying wish to be with and share a last supper with his disciples. As we've seen throughout this sermon series, Jesus connects with people and ministers to people through the simple but powerful act of breaking bread, sharing drink, eating a meal. So it's no surprise that Here he is once more, and his dying wish is to be with and share a meal with his followers. So look at verses 14 through 15. Luke writes, When Jesus' hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles were with him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, before I go, I want to be with you guys. I have greatly desired this one final meal before I suffer. His dying wish was to be with and share a meal with his followers. And this whole scene in these verses, they don't just show us Jesus' last meal. This scene and these verses with the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, they institute the practice of the Lord's Supper, something that we continue to do. So some traditions refer to it as the Eucharist. Sometimes we like to call it communion. But it's this scene and these verses that help institute the ongoing ritual of practicing the Lord's Supper. It's something that we do at this church at least once a month on the first Sunday of every month, and it's something millions of believers still do to this day around the world. Through communion, we relive the Last Supper. Through the Eucharist, we go back to the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest leading to his death. And as we look deeper into these verses, we're going to see three ways that we are to approach and experience the Lord's Supper. As we continue to practice the Lord's Supper on a monthly basis, as we prepare to take the Supper tonight, we're going to see three ways to approach and experience the Lord's table. The first thing is to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Looking back at verses 7 through 13, we see that word prepare four different times. Luke writes, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Peter and John said, where will you have us prepare it? Then later in verses 12 through 13, Jesus says that the man of the house will show you a large upper room, prepare the meal there. 
Luke says they went and found it just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover there. So there's this clear emphasis that this meal requires preparation. It was not an eating experience meant to be entered into lightly. There are steps to be taken. There is intentionality required for the participants. So in this way, the Last Supper is the opposite of what we call fast food. I mean, it's called fast food for more than one reason. For sure, the food comes to you really fast. You make your order, you pull around the building, you pay your money, next window, boom, here's your food. But it's also called fast food because you're able to get it fast and eat it fast. You don't have to get out of your car. You don't have to sit down at a table. You can stay on your phone call. You can keep making your way to your next appointment. You never have to stop. You never have to make preparations. It is fast food. I mean, I've got it down pat. I can leave the church here after a work day to head home, swing by Culver's, and finish my number one value meal with no mayonnaise with like five minutes more on my trip home. It's perfect. Just scarf it down. But that is not what happens here at the Last Supper. No, there is intentional, calculated preparations made. They are in the right place. They have all the food. Everything is thoughtfully prepared for. And I think there's a parallel here for how we we are to experience the Lord's Supper today. So in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to refer to 1 Corinthians 11 a few times throughout the sermon. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul teaches a lot about the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to refer to it. But there in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is giving instruction on the Lord's Supper, and he says this, quote, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, let a person examine himself, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it seems that at least a part of the Corinthian Christians' problem was that they were not preparing themselves for the Lord's Supper. In the same way that we might flippantly, thoughtlessly stuff our face with fast food french fries, the Corinthians were eating and drinking at the Lord's table like that. So the apostle says, whoa, examine yourself. Discern your life. Judge yourself. In other words, prepare yourself. Lest you eat and drink the cup in an unworthy manner. And likewise, church, I urge us, as we approach the Lord's Supper tonight and in the coming months, prepare your heart. This is why we often have a moment of reflection before I lead us in taking the supper, because it's a chance to silence our hearts before God and allow Him to shine light onto our hearts, onto our lives. Is there a sin I need to confess and repent of? Is there something I need to surrender to him? The first last supper required a lot of preparation. And so today, the main preparation necessary is our hearts. Preparing them through confession and repentance and surrender in order to then receive the body and blood of Christ.
So three ways to approach and experience the Lord's Supper, prepare your heart, and secondly, unify with your spiritual family. Unify with your spiritual family. I've already highlighted verse 14, where Luke tells us that when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table with the apostles. So this was a meal meant to be eaten all together in community, Jesus with his people. And the same is true for us today as we practice the Lord's Supper in community. A meal that is often referred to as communion. And certainly by communion, we mean that this meal signifies we have communion with God through Christ. But the meal also signifies our communion with one another. This meal unifies the family of God. And this is another one of the apostles' points in 1 Corinthians 11. When Paul is teaching about the Lord's Supper, five times in that section, he says the phrase, when you come together, when you come together. Now, when you come together, and his point is that this meal is meant to be eaten when you come together as a sign that you are together as one people under Christ. You know, there are some meals that aren't a big deal to eat alone, like my habit of eating a bowl of cereal every night before bed. If we don't have good cereal, then I'll eat a PB&J. But that's just kind of my own nightly ritual. And it's just a bowl of cereal, nothing too significant. My wife can't stand the slurping that happens when I eat my cereal. So I eat by myself. But again, no big deal. It's just me and my Frosted Flakes in my PJs. But can you imagine Thanksgiving dinner by yourself? Or what about the Christmas Day feast all alone? Ugh, that would be terrible. Those meals aren't just about eating awesome traditional holiday foods. Those meals are symbolic experiences of the unity of our families. Those meals unify us. They are markers that we are together. Mother, father, husband, wife, brother, sister, son, daughter, all those different characters in our families are together, unified, and it's expressed through those meals. And the same is true of the Lord's Supper. The body and blood of Christ not only bring us to God, they bring us to one another. And so to go back to the first point, as we prepare our hearts for the supper, one of the main things we have to examine is our relationships with other believers. Is there strife between me and another Christian? Is there unresolved, entrenched conflict between me and another brother or sister? If so, we've got to check ourselves because this meal is about our unity, and if something has come between you two, let's work through it. You remember Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in verses 23 through 24, he said, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled with your brother then come and offer your gift. 
Now, Jesus is speaking in the context of a gift being offered at the temple, not taking the Lord's Supper. But I think the principle holds. He says, if a brother has something against you, keep your tithe. First, go and be reconciled with your brother then come and offer your gift. That's what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's what Jesus is showing us in Luke chapter 22. The Lord's Supper is a demonstration of our unity. This shared meal shows our shared life as a church. So if there's something between you and another believer, seek resolution, seek reconciliation, and then come to the table together. Prepare your heart, unify with your spiritual family, and finally, remember your Savior. Remember your Savior. Look at those last two verses, verses 19 through 20. Luke writes, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after the disciples had eaten, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So that command from the Lord is the foundation of us continuing this practice of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, this is a meal of commemoration a meal through which we remember the body of Christ given for us. Likewise, we remember the blood of Christ poured out for us. In other words, Jesus wants us to remember the cross. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, again, when Paul is teaching about the Lord's Supper, he says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what this meal is about. Proclaiming, remembering that Jesus died for us. This is the foundational act of the new covenant. The sacrifice not of a Passover lamb, but the sacrifice of the lamb of God. The Messiah of God, his body broken, his blood shed to establish a truer, deeper, more secure covenant with God and us than we could ever dream of. And so it is his body and blood that we remember month after month after month. As we prepare our hearts, as we unify ourselves, and we relive the Last Supper with our Lord. You know, for me, it would be chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, perfectly boiled and salted lima beans, cornbread, and my mama's sweet tea. And with me, I would want my parents, my brothers, my wife, my children, and my friends. If I had one last meal. That's what I'd want. And that's who I would want with me. And the good news of this story is that Jesus' dying wish is for you to be at table with him. Jesus passionately desired to be with those he would soon die for. 
Friends, his grace is not something we can earn. It is something that we receive by faith. Putting our trust in him and what he did for us on the cross. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.